This morning, I have the privilege of starting a conversation that we are calling Generosity Reframed. And uh, in this series, we are talking about what it looks like to learn the art of releasing your stuff and more specifically, the art of releasing your money. And uh, listen, I just want to say a couple of things right off the bat. The first thing is I know, I know, I know I have spent enough time around the church to know that there are certain topics that tend to carry with them an air of delicacy, if I can put it delicately. Um, there are a number of, of, of conversations that ought to come with like a, a trigger warning because they are very, very sensitive to the church at large. And uh, a few examples of those topics would include things such as sex, politics, and oh, money. If you want to frustrate the church and see parents cover their kids' ears or skip a few weeks of service mysteriously or see your numbers drop a little bit, just talk about one of these things, sex, politics, or money. I'm just saying I know. Anyway, all that to say, we're starting a three-week series about money. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, let me say a second thing, um, and the second thing is no, a strong, hard no on this, and I just want to get this on the record. No, um, one of the things that happens, I think, when uh, uh, sensitivities are stirred around the conversation of money is they start to spark these um, stereotypes about the church. The church is always talking about money. All the church is after your money. Um, the church wants your money. All the church is in desperate need of money. And I just want to go on the record and say, no, we are not in some kind of a financial crisis. In fact, as a church, we are doing pretty well financially thanks to the generosity of so many of you. Thank you very much. Matter of fact, I was just walking back to come here and somebody grabbed me and was just marveling once again at a very generous gesture of somebody from this church family. So that's not what's happening. We are not doing some kind of a financial campaign. Or we are not trying to raise funds um, for something in particular. Now, don't get me wrong. We will ask you for your money. And as we'll see in the next number of weeks, one of the reasons for that is because um, money fuels the mission. And for a church movement that says we're about the mission of showing and sharing the person of Jesus Christ, we understand that money helps to fuel the mission of Jesus Christ. But that is not what this series, this conversation is about. Um, again, what the church has tended to do in response to some of the sensitivity that the conversation about money stirs is the church has overreacted and the overreaction has gone something like this. Well, if you guys think that all we want is your money and all we talk about is money, we'll show you and we're not gonna talk about it at all. 
And so the church becomes very silent and the issue of money becomes almost taboo. Or the church overreacts in a different direction and says, oh, you think we talk about money? We're going to talk about money, but we're going to do it so subtly and secretively and manipulatively, and we'll do it in a covert way that you won't even know we're talking about money. And it becomes this manipulation that stirs the very stereotypes that make money an even more delicate topic to talk about in the context of the church. So we just want to talk about it head on. Um, and this morning, I, I want to start by answering the question, well, um, why talk about money? Why talk about generosity, especially knowing how delicate a topic this can be? In recent weeks, for those of you who've been with us, we've been talking about what matters most. We just wrapped up a series called Busy Jesus not too long ago. And in that series, we continue to repeat this mantra that what matters most ought to matter most no matter what. You can consider this in many ways just a continuation of that conversation. We want to talk about generosity as it relates particularly to our money because money matters. Woo! Money matters. Few things in the life of a Jesus follower matter more than your money. Money matters. We want to talk about this conversation even though it's delicate because the matter of money is a heart and discipleship issue. Your money is a Jesus-following issue. Money matters. Um, how you think about it, how you spend it, what you spend it on, what you save it for, how much of it you give away, what you give it away to, that matters. Few things matter more for a follower of Jesus Christ than your money. Money is a discipleship issue. And as a church that says we want to be all about what it means to follow Jesus Christ's heart and soul, we cannot avoid having a conversation about money because money is a discipleship issue. It matters for Jesus' people. Money matters. Um, you are going to guess the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it to you, and then you're going to feel like, oh, man, we know uh, some deep truths of the Bible. But do you know the single topic that Jesus talked about more than he talked about any other single topic? Any guesses? Yep. Money. Money. 
Jesus talked in, in parables. He would tell these veiled stories um, very often. Uh, more specifically, Jesus taught in parables 39 times. And out of those 39 parables, 11 of them were connected to the topic of money. One out of seven verses of Jesus' words were about the topic of Money More than any other single topic, Jesus talked about money. Not heaven, not hell, not modesty, not dancing. Money. Now, I want to be very careful and say um, that Jesus didn't always teach about money. Uh, in some of those contexts, Jesus would be using money as an illustration to teach something else related to his kingdom. But nonetheless, when Jesus was teaching or Jesus was talking, he would either be directly teaching about or using as an illustration the issue of money because Jesus understood money matters. Money matters. But more important and the fact that Jesus referred to money more than any other single topic is why Jesus did it um, and what Jesus said about it. Um, Jesus didn't do this because he believed money matters more than Jesus matters. Jesus didn't do this because he believed that money matters more than the kingdom of God matters. That's not why he spoke about money so often, uh, he did it because he knew nothing reveals where you really stand with Jesus and his kingdom more than money. Money is one of the greatest litmus tests of who you really are, what you really believe, and where you really stand with Jesus and his kingdom. And so the conversation about money Matters. You want to know who you really are and what you really believe? Yep, your calendar will tell you. But more than that, your checkbook. And many of you in this room will have to Google that term. So, it's, um, it, it should not surprise any of us that the devil has commandeered this conversation that matters so much to Jesus and his followers, and he has thrown us into a frenzy about it. Oh, make sure that the church becomes very self-conscious about this, and make sure that the church becomes very taboo, and make sure that we start, you know, dividing over it, and, and saying, oh, that's all the church wants to talk about, and make sure the church figures out a way to become quietest about what Jesus spoke about so often. And the church has cooperated. Well, we don't want to seem like that kind of church. We don't want to feed into the stereotype that the church is always talking about money, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to become quiet about it. And the devil's like, yes, I just took out of play one of the key areas that Jesus talked about. Money matters. And if it really matters that much, in Jesus' conversations and in Jesus' teaching, then I think the opposite should actually happen. Like if we as a church go too long and don't talk about money, like the church should protest a little bit. 
Like, I'm sorry, how come we're not talking about something that Jesus talked about so much? There should be the opposite reaction. Man, we go to a church and they never talk about money. What's up with that? If it is a discipleship litmus test that shows us where we really stand and what we really believe, then we we should be, why aren't we talking more about it, right? And I think it's been one of the enemy's great strategies. So, what will your money say and surface about you in this conversation? Are you ready to let your money speak? What will it reveal? Uh, We're going to keep things very simple uh, this morning, and we're going to talk about some of the things that Jesus says your money will tell you about you. We're going to just look at some of the things Jesus says your money and how you interact with it will reveal about your discipleship. Uh, The first thing, uh, it, it will reveal what you love most. It will reveal what you love most. You want to know what you love most in this world? Follow the money trail. It will show you. One time Jesus said this about money. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know what your heart loves most? Follow the money. If you can figure out where your money goes, you will figure out what your heart loves most. And for a church that says, it's Jesus we're after. It's Jesus that we love. Jesus would ask the question, does your money agree? This is such a profoundly beautiful thing that Jesus does for us. It is profoundly beautiful because if you think about it, um, in the church we say a lot of things and have a lot of funky phrases that are impossible to measure. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. Okay? But here's the thing about the heart, right? It's this invisible thing that lives inside me, and I, I can't reach it. I, I can't see it. I know you have one. I can't see it. So I can't see what your heart is about. I can't see what's on your heart or in your heart, and I can't see what's in my heart. So I can say whatever I think is in my heart, I can say what I believe my heart loves the most, but it's invisible. I have no way of really getting in there and accessing it. I wish there was some mechanism and some device that I could, you know, attach to myself and then it projects onto a screen, not in front of any of you, all of the stuff that's in my heart and then I can really evaluate what's in there and Jesus says, I'll give you a heavenly hack for that. Follow your money. And it will serve as a projector showing you what your heart really, really loves. Not what you say you love, 
But what you really, this is such a gift, think about it. If you could see what was in your heart, wouldn't you want to? And Jesus is like, I have one way for you to do that. Follow the money. This money matters because it will magnify what's in your heart and it will make it visible to you. Forget what you think is in there. Jesus says, let's actually see what's in there. What do you spend your money on? What do you want more money, more money for? What do you fantasize about buying or buying more of? What do you think about the people who have lots of it on Instagram and places like this? What do you give your money away to, especially when you don't believe you're going to get it back? No, really, let your money speak and let it project what you really love. This is so fascinating, especially because of the way we tend to use the word love. Like I think about this and it's a word we throw around all the time, right? Like, uh, you know, kids to parents, like they're on the phone, like love you, bye. Love you, bye, which is just a way of saying like, oh, can you leave me alone? I'm trying to do some other things right now. Love you, bye. Love you. Bye. And Jesus is saying, you can keep saying that word as much as you want. But do you really, though? And he's asking that regarding our money. What is on the list of things you will not miss spending money on? Let it speak. And come on, let's project it, like, Okay, my streaming service, because, you know, that's obviously essential, duh. Um, my cell, I mean, data plan for my cell phone and my streaming service, because I need to get the bundle on my phone, you know, for the restroom. So, I mean, that's obviously, that's essential. Um, well, I mean, obviously groceries, like, uh, okay, my car payment, that's on there. Uh, tuition, like uh, I have to, to, to pay that off. So um, that's on my list as well. I mean, obviously, my daily coffee hit, right? Like, uh, because if I'm going to love like Jesus loves, I, <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, my investment, my clothes, my, my travel expenses, um, you know, on there, on my list, it's, 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 it's essential things that I will not miss paying for. And Jesus would say, yep, those are the things you love most. And I would be like, but I don't feel deep, warm, fuzzy affection towards those things. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you how you feel about those things. I'm asking you whether or not you love them. And in my mind, the reason this is so difficult for me is like, no, but aren't the things I love the things that like, I, I have certain feelings for and feelings about? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's whatever your money will necessarily go in the direction 
off. That's fascinating because I would say, well, hang on a second, but that's, um, but I mean, those, I mean, you got to eat. Um, you got to keep up with the Kardashians. I mean, these are things you've got to do, apparently. Jesus, you've got to pay those bills. And Jesus would say, I'm not arguing with any of that. I'm just telling you, let that reveal that what you love most is having a very safe, paid-for house and having food on your table. I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just telling you, let that tell you the things you really love. But let it also eventually tell you that when the opportunity arises for you to give towards things that align with my heart and my priorities. Will you say, ah, we'll get, I mean, we'll get to that maybe at some point later when we have a little, because that's not essential, this is. It's just telling you what you love. Just let it speak. And please hear me, church, this is not just a fun exercise. Literally, what you will refuse to skip paying for is telling you what you love, whether it's safety, security, having the essentials, having warmth, having health, whatever it is, it's telling you what you love. Don't argue with it, just let it speak. And then the gift of our money will play a role in revealing, right? And if you don't believe me, then when things get very difficult and something threatens your money, you will see what happens then. Or threatens that thing that you pay, you will, you will lose your mind. And many times we will say, in crises, I didn't realize that I was that attached to it. And Jesus invites us, hey, follow your money. It will tell you what you really, really love. So we need to talk about this because it's one of the easiest ways to discover what I really love, not what I say I love, not who I say I love, it's what I spend on and what I save for. What is it saying about you? I cannot encourage you strongly enough to go through this exercise. What won't I miss paying for? And for the first time you may say, I did not realize I loved these things. This whole time, I've thought I'm the kind of person who loves these things. And Jesus is saying, no, follow the money. Not your mental ideal. Um, money will reveal what you crown most. It will reveal what you crown most. What you do with your money will reveal to you who and what you crown. Listen, you don't know who you really crown as Lord of your life until you know where your money really goes. Just pause and ponder that for a moment. One time Jesus said something so provocative, people would have left. As he does, as he does. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, just a few verses down from what we just saw. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. There is that love again. And again, we'll argue with Jesus' words because no, but love is a feeling I have. Jesus is like, mm, love is not feeling, it's actions. It's choices. 
or you will be devoted to the one and you would despise the other. I don't despise. No, but you reject it in preference for this. That's what he means. And then he ramps it up. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. What? says, you cannot have more than one Lord. You cannot have more than one master. You cannot have more than one who drives and determines the decisions of your life. You can't do it. In other words, sitting here right now, you have crowned a Lord over your life. Sitting here right now, you have pledged allegiance to a master. Not masters, a master. There is a chief master, a chief Lord in your life that determines the decisions and the directions that your life takes. The question is, who or what is that Lord? Shh. Don't answer that. Your money is doing it for you. Let your money answer that for you. That's what Jesus is saying. And isn't this the moment, I don't know about you, but the way I read the Bible, I would have immediately thought Jesus is going to say, you can't have two masters, you can't crown two lords, you are going to choose one or the other. And you are either going to choose God or you're going to choose the devil. But he doesn't say that. You're either going to choose God or you're going to choose pleasure. You're either going to choose God or you're going to choose the culture or the world. But he doesn't say that. He says, nope, the greatest rival to you crowding God as your Lord, money. And I'm like, no. No, never. Which probably means I have a decent amount of it. Like, no. And I have all of these reasons why that cannot be true. What an incredibly revealing statement. God or money, money matters. You can say what you want about what you believe about Jesus, but the truth will always be proven by your generosity, by your money. Um, man, I was reminded of a story my wife uh, told me of uh, when she was younger, um, and um, it, it's fascinating. So apparently, her family, I don't know, they didn't think, let's go and buy a dog from the dog store or whatever, um, or from the rescue shelter. Uh, she was telling me about how she got this particular dog. Like, I don't know if this dog was on the loose, and it didn't have a collar, so it was just anybody's dog. And so she's like, oh, I want this dog. I like this dog. I maybe even love this dog. The problem was the neighbors were like, oh, we love this dog. We want this dog. And a battle ensued and they agreed like, all right, let's do this. You stand over here and we'll stand over here and both of us will call for the dog. Here, doggy. And whichever person the dog goes to, wins. And I just wanted to share that because my wife won, otherwise I wouldn't tell the story. But that's how they got that particular dog. And uh, that's kind of what Jesus is saying. 
You can't serve two masters because when the opportunity comes to be generous or when you see something or you see a need, you are going to have to choose between... God is like, come on, give it away. You're like, oh, oh, no, no, no. Because we've got this on the list. We've got to save for this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. And Jesus is saying, you will crown a master and you won't think about it until an opportunity arises and you are forced to decide. Or in our culture, we'll be like, mm, well, I'll, I'll, let me pray about it. That way I can delay who I've really crowned. And Jesus is saying, stop playing around. It is not who you say. It is not what you think. It is not what you believe. He says, nope, your money and how you interact with it is going to reveal something about who really is your master. It made me think about two characters in the Bible, um, and we've interacted with uh, a couple of them in the last year at, at least. Um, and uh, both of these characters had an encounter with Jesus, and both of them had an opportunity to pledge allegiance to, to Jesus. And uh, we're going to put them in a side-by-side comparison. Uh, the first character is a, you know, is a tax collector named Zacchaeus, um, just a bad dude, ruthless dude. And the other character is, you know, a... Um, a rich ruler. The rich ruler is a good guy. Good guy. Huh? Ah, the, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, um, man, this guy was a pagan. He had no interest in religion or anything to do with, with God. The, the, the ruler, the rich ruler was very religious. He, he went to church. Um, he, he maybe even, you know, served I don't know. Uh, the tax collector was a sinner, and they called him such in the Bible. The ruler was moral. Like he knew the Bible, and he did a lot of what the Bible said. And let's stay on this ruler guy. This ruler guy was a believer. He believed in God, believed in heaven, believed in hell, believed in eternity, believed in eternal life. In fact, when it comes to Jesus, he has a question about eternal life. Life. He was a believer. The tax collector, mm, not so much. At the end of the story, it turns out that this religious ruler was a Jesus fan. The tax collector turned out to be a Jesus follower. One of these two guys crowned Jesus as Lord and was headed to heaven at the end of the encounter. The other one, not so much. And what was the difference? Money. The rich religious guy was more than happy to agree with everything the Bible said, was even willing to do most of it. But what he would not release when Jesus asked for it was his money. He said, nope, not to that. Tax collector had done some awful things, sold out his people and gouged them for as much money as possible. He was a cruel, merciless dude. And he had an encounter with Jesus, and when that was done, he crowned Jesus Lord, called him so. 
And one of the first things he did was release and surrender his money to the agenda of Jesus. I'm just telling you what I do with my money when I have an opportunity to advance the heart of Jesus is going to tell me who's really boss. It will reveal if I've really surrendered to him or if I just sing about it. This conversation about generosity, it's, it's crucial. It matters. Um, because don't you think a church that says we are all about Jesus and following Jesus should have an, at least an annual check-in, an annual lordship check-in? And ask the questions like, I know what we say, church. I know we even do some good things. I know we even have moral standards. And I know what we believe about heaven and hell. But the question is a generosity lordship check. Is our money proving we've crowned Jesus as Lord and we've surrendered our lives to him? And in the Bible, money. You can't serve him and cling on to your money and the American dream and reserve the rights to do with it whatever you want, whenever you want. Jesus would say that's telling you something about who really is Lord, who you've really crowned most. And I'm so curious to know how you pledge who are you crowning as Lord, master of your world, Jesus or money? Again, don't answer that verbally. Answer that venmoly. Not with your words, but with your wallet. Money matters. Um, money matters, lastly, because it reveals what you experience most. Um, what you do with your money will reveal what you will experience most. It is a predictor of your experience. I, I'm going to go a step further, and we'll talk about this next week. It is a determiner of your experience. What you do with your money will determine the quality and quantity of your blessing, how much and how much of it you enjoy. I don't know if you knew that. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. This is Paul speaking, and he says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Amen. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to Receive. Remembering the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Wow. So you can hold on or you can, you can hoard your money. And if you do, you might keep it. You might even enjoy it some. But not in the deepest and richest ways that heaven intended for you to enjoy your resources. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, and by the way, the word blessed means to be completely happy. 
There is more complete happiness in giving than there is in receiving. Wow. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The, the greatest happiness, it actually doesn't come from getting more money. It comes from giving more of it away. What? No way. Jesus, that is very counter to our culture and what we say. And Jesus is like, I know. These are kingdom principles. And in your world, they will feel like they work in reverse. But I promise you, the deeper quality of life is found not in taking and having more, but in releasing more. Some of y'all, by the way, over the next number of weeks are on the verge of stepping into a world of blessing and joy and happiness that you did not even know was possible. Not because you're going to get the dream of getting something more, but because you are going to realize I'm going to give more. And in giving more, I am going to experience greater Happiness. God has designed it such that releasing money generously unleashes happiness hilariously. The last time we talked about this, we called it that, hilarious generosity. Do you believe that? And can you even understand why the enemy would want to convince us that the core of happiness will come if I have more? and get more and spend more on myself. And however more it is, he's going to keep saying now just a little bit more. And Jesus says, I promise the greatest happiness is in releasing it, in giving it away. Do you believe the words of Jesus? And does your life reflect that. And some of us have been walking through seasons of darkness and, and sorrow and, and sadness. And the belief the enemy whispers is if you could just have a little more of this. If you could just get people to do a little more of this for you. If you could just reach and have a little more. And Jesus is saying, listen, Dead Sea. You need some outlets what you actually need to do. The kingdom principle says, no, 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 no. How completely happy is a person who's giving more away? I dare you to be like, all right, I'm going to start engaging kingdom principles and see what happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. We'll talk about this more next week, and I cannot wait. Because it's not just about the quality of your happiness. It's about the quantity of it. There it goes. Prosperity preaching. And I'm just saying, uh, the prosperity people are just, I think they're a little bit like manipulative at times, but they're not entirely wrong. That's what we do. Like that whole thing must be complete. No, not the whole thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, you do your homework. I'm not going to feed you by a spoon. Go do some homework. Look at this verse, read it, study it, and you tell me what you think it means. And then I'll tell you what I think it means. 
and we'll both be right. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And oh, Paul is talking about generosity in this passage of Scripture. If you are generous towards others, God will be generous towards you. We'll talk about this next week, y'all. God will not be outgiven by anybody. But this idea is mind-blowing that your generosity, your releasing stuff in generosity provokes God's generosity in your life? No way. And it's one of the few places where Jesus would say, if you don't believe me, try it. Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And I'm just saying, if you have any wisdom as an investor, wouldn't it be a smart thing to say, wait, if it's more blessed to give than to receive, then what should we be investing more in? Probably giving. If I sow generously and I reap from heaven generously, maybe we should be generous more. Just even if that's all you are after, and not all of the other things that God is going to do in the process of all of this, even in just that, it should change the way I think about my stuff and the way I think about my money. Again, the devil's going to want to lie and tell you that, no, if you're generous, you will lose your resources. If you give, then you won't have it anymore. And Paul's saying, oh, cap. Did somebody laugh at my use of cap? Did I use that correctly, teens? <laughs> Teens are like, please don't say that again. Um, Jesus is like, oh, come on. That's not how my kingdom works. You sow generously, you will reap generously, and we're going to see more of that next week. Some of you are on the verge of starting to step in faith into some of these realms and discover the beauty of it. What does your spending say about what you love most and who your God really is and who you crown most and uh, what's the quality of your joy and your happiness? And is there an area maybe where you are instead of releasing and being a conduit of his blessing for his blessing? Where are we really as a church that says we're all about Jesus? Where are we really? Right? And we want to spend some time just talking about this and discovering this together and leaning into this beautiful design of God when it comes to money. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to wrap with this. Uh, verse 14 says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, that's some of y'all, by the way, in this room. To others, he gave two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to, its, or to his ability. Then he, this master, went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. 
So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And I'm not going to keep reading this passage anymore because Jesus establishes the truth that I wanted us to see very early in this passage. Ooh, this is powerful. Jesus tells a story, and he says, uh, a master... Uh, gave his money to his servants, and then he went on a trip. Just, just sit with that for a while. Oh, especially the part where it said, uh, the master gave his money to his servants. Especially the part where it says, it's the master's money. All the money is his. I love this. Jesus is saying, it is my money. In this conversation, we may talk like it's your money, but it never was your money. It will never be your money. It is his money the whole time, and he's gone on a trip, and he's going to come back, and he's going to want to know. So what did you do? With my money. And if you don't believe it, just have a pandemic happen or have something happen in the world and you're going to start to see the economy break out and all of the safety and security we thought we had in our investments, gone. Jesus is like, I could take this anytime, but I'm inviting you to be a part of catch and release. It's my money. And you just get to hold it for a while. How tightly or how loosely is a matter of love and lordship. And so we will see. What do you love most? And how cool is this that we get invited to be a part of it by the one who, the God who uh, so loved the world that he gave his treasure to die for us so we could be invited into his happiness. I'm so glad he didn't just say, I love y'all. He proved it in his generosity towards us. So uh, we are going to continue in this conversation. We we'll look forward to what he will do. And uh, man, we're going to hear stories of different ones of you and how you've journeyed when it comes to um, the matter of generosity and uh, the ways you've seen God move in your life and the joy you've found in being part of his catch and release um, program. So we're actually going to take a moment and, and hear some stories here up on the screen. Um, and then the team will come out in a little bit. But check this out. Generosity is really important to me because... I, I was given a second chance. Thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus did. He died on our cross for, you know, sins that I haven't even like committed yet. So I think of, oh, if he calls us to be generous, if he calls us to love a neighbor, and the one thing that I can do to be generous, to be a good neighbor is to give back, then I, that's the simplest thing I can do for someone who um, died on the cross for me. Giving back specifically in tides, I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of it was kind of hard at first. I didn't, I was just learning how to be an adult, honestly. What does it look like to budget? What does it look like to give back to the church? And why is that important with the like 
combination of moving from Michigan to Indiana full time and then being out on my own and a couple of, you know, car breakdowns. We love those. Um, I was, my faith was really tested when it came back to giving. Giving back and tithes and offering was a tangible way for me to to give God my like faith and show, hey, I have this faith. I believe in you and I know that I'm giving everything to you. And this is one way that I'm gonna show it, especially when I'm struggling in my finance, like my finances. I'm giving over this money that is yours and he provided for me anyway. I think one prime example was my car broke down again and it was like $700 and I was like, I don't have $700, I'm just out on my own. I just I just started my first big girl job. I don't even have an emergency fund yet. And out of nowhere, um, $700 turned into $300 for my car to be fixed. Out of nowhere, someone dropped $300 in my pocket. And I was like, I know this was to pay for my car. I would say if you don't know where to start, start in the word look into the word and see why giving back is important to God. And if you think things that are important to God are important to you, then you know why it's important to give. When I think about generosity, it means a lot more than just financial. Of course, that's a big part of it, but I think generosity applies to everything. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with the gifts God's given us, our talents. We can be generous with um, the grace and love and forgiveness that He gives us. We can be generous with that to others. We've always tried to give um, to whatever church we've been involved with at the time. One thing that we love about Mission Point is that we can see yes. tangibly what's happening yeah. with the money that we get. The lives that are being touched, yeah. And to know that you're just a small part of that, like how cool that our family, in a tiny way, but God's using us to to help those people in, you know, um, small villages to get water, or helping us to reach the kids in in Kosciuszko County through sports camps. And I just think it's really cool. And the Bible tells us to be a cheerful giver. When you see that, you can't help but be cheerful. Look what's look what's happening, and and look at the ways God's multiplying this to further His kingdom, and the ways He's using what little bit any of us can give or can do to help. Seeing how our church just loves so many, how our church loves others. You know, it's something I just always impressed with in all the different ministries that we have and just how the church loves our kids, you know, in our five years here being just, again, how our church just loves in life when we give and give to give in this situation, um, you get more back. And the blessing really is yours when you give, you really receive more of a blessing. Like I said earlier, just to be able to see a glimpse of what is happening and what's being done, um, I feel like blesses your life in, in ways that you couldn't imagine.